Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades on five continents, culminated his ministry with a 21-year, book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called a life study. This life study is the basis of our program today, which includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's life study. It's always a real enjoyment for us to have Ron Kangas on the program. And Ron, we're going to see Jacob today return to the place of his wonderful dream, his return to Bethel. Welcome back. It's nice to see you again. As always, it's a delight to fellowship these things with you. Ron, as I said, today Jacob returns to the place of his dream in chapter 28. And it must be significant that after so many dealings and events in Jacob's life, that God would bring him back to the place that Jacob had identified as the house of God. It surely is significant, and I appreciate your statement. God would bring him back. This shows actually more about God than about Jacob. God's desire is to build a house with his chosen and redeemed people. For this, his people need to be not only redeemed and regenerated, but transformed into living stones. The fact that God caused Jacob to return to Bethel indicates, in the sight of God, Bethel is the goal. Every Jacob needs to be transformed not primarily for his personal spirituality, but transformed for the building up of the house of God. Jacob, in a very real sense, began with a dream, a vision of Bethel. And eventually, after years of experience, he is brought back by God to have the reality and practicality of Bethel. So we need the vision of God's building, the church, and we need those experiences in the divine life which make us a part of the church in reality and practicality to fulfill the heart's desire of God. Thank you, Ron. Let's join Witness Lee. I'm anxious to get to this life study from Genesis chapter 35. We all have to uh, remember that Genesis is a book of the seed of all the truths in the Bible. The seed of the truths concerning the house of God was sown in chapter 28 as a vision to Jacob. And that vision was given in a very, very extraordinary way. Firstly, it was given in a dream. And then that dream was interpreted with the divine inspiration. You see, in the dream, Jacob saw the heavens were open and a ladder rising up from the earth to the heavens. And upon the ladder, the angels of God were ascending and descending. That was a dream. That was a dream. 
with the dream, firstly, you have the fact or the fact in the dream, and then suddenly you need the proper interpretation. Have you realized that he did the good job, even the best job to interpret his dream? And he interpreted in this way that he said, this is the gate of heaven. Now, surely this is the gate of heaven. If you are going to heaven from there, surely you have to go through this place. Because this is the gate. And what is the gate to the heaven? The house of God. Amen. Have you got it? Amen. The house of God is the gate to heaven. Not only so, after he made a vow, in his vow, the interpretation has gone further. Firstly, he said in his interpretation of the dream, the place was the house of God. And eventually, in his vow, he promised that the house of God will be something built with a stone. What stone? The stone which was his trust. I have to tell you, the stone which was used by Jacob as a pillow was a shadow, a prefigure, a type of Christ. Only Christ is the real rock that could be our pillow on which we could lay our tired out head. And the very Christ or your Christ will be the house of God. Ron, I'd like to ask you, why is Jacob's experience in Bethel here in chapter 35 considered as the reality of what he had just dreamed about in chapter 28. Chapter 28 gives us a vision, a revelation of Bethel, the house of God. Even when he was still natural, Jacob could receive the vision. Then he needed a host of experiences over many years, which would enable the Lord to bring about an actual change in Jacob's being, even changing his name to Israel. At this point, Bethel is no longer simply a vision. It's no longer just a revelation. Now, Jacob himself is actually a part of the very building God has shown him in the dream. So the difference here is the difference between vision and vision is precious, and the reality and practicality of that vision. The reality is the result of a lot of experiences under the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Ron. Let's rejoin Witness Lee with more of today's life study. Now, in chapter 35, dream came back again. This time, it came back not merely as a dream. And this time, it came back not merely as a vision. It came back as a reality. 
not just a dream, not just a vision, but an experience, a fact, a reality, a real thing. The fulfillment of the dream came into existence in chapter 35. No, by this time, in chapter 35, haha, Jacob got a big change. He got a big change. You see, God didn't come to him and charge him to do this and to do that. No, God only came and told him, arise and go up to Bethel. But he reacted in what way? He reacted in the way of being changed, in the way of being transformed. Oh, I tell you, he was a transformed person in chapter 35. You look at what he did. He made a thorough clearance, not only with himself, but with all his family, with all the people who were with him. That was a strong proof that Jacob had a thorough radical change. He was not only concerned for himself, he was concerned even for all the people with him. He was transformed. My, he was transformed. I have no doubt about it. Then he got to Bethel. Bethel, what happened? Here you have something more added. In Sikkim, he built altar, but he didn't call the altar El Sikkim. He may be able to call that altar the altar of Sikkim, but he couldn't use the divine title of God for the altar he built. That means the altar he built in Sikkim didn't touch God's heart. In other words, the altar there in Sikkim was not the one God wanted. I tell you, you may build altars everywhere, but not one God wants. See the point? God's intention was not to have him there in Sikkim. God's intention was to bring him back right to Bethel. So the altar built by him in Sikkim was not according to God's desire, and it was not according to God's word. But, my, the altar built by him in Bethel was at the word of God. So, he had the bonus to call that altar El Bethel. We do a lot of things for God. Gospel preaching, good service, and this and that. And you may even establish a meeting and designate the church. But I tell you, you don't have the confidence and you don't have the boldness to call that something of God. Could you follow me? Ron, here in chapter 35 at Bethel, Jacob builds an altar to the Lord, much as he had done previously in Shechem. This altar, however, is much more pleasing to the Lord than the one at Shechem. Why is the place of our offerings to the Lord 
important. It seems that it should just be enough that we are offering something to him, regardless of where we're at. It is, of course, very good to offer ourselves to the Lord, but very often when we do this, it's according to our concept, or according to our intention, or according to our view. So we offer ourselves to the Lord to do this, or to go there, or to be that, with little understanding of what is really on God's heart. That kind of altar and that kind of consecration is the altar at Shechem. It's good, but it's not an altar that is intrinsically related to the heart's desire of God. But when Jacob came to Bethel, when he is entering into the reality of God's building, and he sets up an altar there, that altar, with its consecration, touches the desire of God's heart. This is a consecration not just to do something for God, but rather it's a consecration that brings forth something purely of God, unto God, in God, through God, and for God. The consecration at Shechem is a consecration largely according to one's concept, and even one's preference. The altar and the consecration at Bethel are a consecration in and for God, in and through the house of God. When we do this, we know God in a particular way. We know him as the God of the house of God. In brief, let me summarize by saying this. The altar at Bethel and the consecration at Bethel is a consecration under the light of divine revelation to that which will satisfy the desire of God's heart. And what will satisfy God's heart's desire is a building, a house, as the corporate expression of himself in Christ. Precious few are the children of God today who will come to Bethel and there build an altar and upon this altar offer themselves and their all to God for his house, the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem. God needs this kind of consecration today Deep within, we need to make this kind of consecration today so that at the altar and Bethel, we and the triune God may be deeply one, sharing the same burden for the building up of his house. Ron, thank you for the very touching and compelling fellowship. Let's join Witness Lee for the conclusion of our life study. In chapter 28, he set up the pillar and he poured the oil upon it. That's all. But now you have some further development. Now, before he poured out the oil upon the pillar, he poured out the drink offering upon it. Probably very few among us know what is the real significance of the drink offering. In Leviticus, God charged his people 
to offer the burnt offering, the meal offering, the peace offering, the trespass offering, and the sin offering without any mention of the drink offering. The drink offering was something additional, added to the basic offerings. Paul considered himself as a drink offering. He told the Philippines, Paul says, I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the offering of your faith. Now you Philippines are offering something to God. I am happy to be poured out as a drink offering upon your offering. Then when he was going to be martyred, he told Timothy that he was already to be poured out as a drink offering upon what? You have to realize, according to the Old Testament, the drink offering was always poured out upon some basic offering. Christ is all the basic offerings. Paul says he was to be poured out. He was a wine to be poured out as a drink offering. Upon what? Upon the very Christ whom he experienced and whom he offered to God. If you check with the real martyrs, Peter, Paul, John, all the real martyrs, they all can testify. Their martyrdom was just a pouring out of their joy with their being upon Christ. All the martyrs were poured out as a drink offering upon Christ to God. They experienced Christ so much. When they offer Christ to God as the basic offerings, I tell you, they themselves are also poured out upon Christ. I'm ready, Paul said. I'm already being poured out upon Christ for God's satisfaction. Brother Nee, watchman Nee, he was put into prison over 20 years. He was there 20 years. I do believe he was there being poured out. Poured out. In the church life, we could experience Christ to such an extent that we all will be waiting to be proud as a drink offering. Then again, he called that place best. Well, Ron, quite a wonderful and deep point here in this last section about the drink offering. This no doubt is something new to many, if not most of our listeners. So I'm going to give you a big job. Describe, if you would, the aspect of the basic offerings briefly, and then specifically develop the drink offering here as offered by Jacob. In the Old Testament, there are a number of basic offerings, all of which typify Christ. The first is the burnt offering, signifying Christ as the one who is absolute for God. The sin offering, Christ as the one who was made sin for us, that we in him might become the righteousness of God. 
the trespass offering, signifying Christ as the one who bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might be forgiven by God in his grace. The meal offering, Christ in his divinely enriched humanity, as our food to make us the real God-men God desires today. The peace offering, signifying Christ as the one who is peace, who makes peace, who proclaims peace, and who brings peace, that we may be one with God and one with one another in Christ, in God. In addition to these offerings, there is the drink offering. The drink offering was poured out upon one of these other offerings, primarily the burnt offering. The drink offering was composed of wine that was just poured out upon the sacrifice. In the New Testament, we see in Philippians 2 and in 2 Timothy 4 that a believer in Christ may thoroughly enjoy Christ as wine, the wine that cheers the heart of God and man. He enjoys Christ to such an extent that he becomes saturated with Christ as the God and man cheering wine. Eventually, he is constituted of the wine to become wine at a certain point, especially at a time of supreme sacrifice. Such a believer has the honor and the privilege to pour out his God-constituted being as a drink offering. Paul was such a one, but not only Paul. In our day, Brother Nee, Watchman Nee, a faithful bond slave of Christ, ended his life as such a drink offering. He drank of Christ as the heavenly wine. He enjoyed Christ as the heavenly wine. He became this wine, a constitution of wine, and especially in the years of his imprisonment, he was poured out as a drink offering to satisfy God and to manifest Christ. May the Lord constitute us into such an offering for his glory and expression today. Ron, that was wonderful fellowship, and I appreciate very much your mention of Watchman Nee, as Witness Lee also did in the program. As a young believer, I remember reading many inspiring biographies, and there's a recent biography of Watchman Nee's life written by Witness Lee, who was a close, if not the closest, of his co-workers in China. And this biography is called Watchman Nee, a seer of the divine revelation in the present age. And I would highly recommend it because it contains a lot of testimonies and incidents previously never published before. It's called again, Watchman Nee, a seer of the divine revelation by Witness Lee, and it's published by Living Stream and available at all Christian bookstores. This biography of Watchman Nee is most precious. One reason for its preciousness is that it was written by a brother who was absolutely one with Watchman Nee, one in spirit and of like soul to labor together to carry out God's economy. And here we have a faithful, God-honoring testimony of not only the outward aspects 
of Brother Nee's life and ministry, but of the kind of person he became in Christ through God's complete salvation, a person who is a genuine pattern for earnest and seeking believers today. I heartily recommend the book Under the Lord's Blessing for those who would like to pursue the Lord in the way of learning Him through someone who lived and died for Him. Thank you, Ron, for being with us today. Amen. You have been listening to the Life Study of Genesis with Witness Lee. If you would like more information about this program, then please call 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Or write to Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. You can also send us email at radio at lsm.org. For a free download of this program, or to find more information, visit us online at lsm.org. If you've enjoyed what you've heard from this Life Study of Genesis, then we encourage you to freely distribute this program. It's available in MP3 format. Again, it can be downloaded from lsm.org free of charge.